and welcome to the EdTech Podcast. I'm Sophie Bailey and this is the second of two podcasts released this week. Why the extra podcast? Well, this week I took part in a webinar run by the Department for International Trade, formerly known as PRINCE, uh, I mean UKTI. The session was for small to medium-sized EdTech businesses in the UK uh, starting to think about exporting. Now this podcast is for the whole EdTech community, that means teachers, lecturers, colleges, it means startups, investors, international education innovators. So for those teachers and school leaders and university lecturers listening, disclaimer, this does include a lot of business chat. However, if you're interested in what your fellow counterparts are doing in China or in Qatar and how they access funding which helps to innovate their practice, listen on. Also, if you're interested in how startups are focusing on relieving the pressure points identified in the DfE Workload Challenge Survey, listen on again. And message in if you've got ideas on ways that edtech companies could be helping to make an even bigger impact. Perhaps you use some of the services mentioned and could give your experiences on what you love or want more or less of. Internationals listening from 67 countries, hello. This will be of interest if you're A, interested in trend areas for UK edtech, and B, interested in the six global areas the Department for International Trade have identified as regions where edtech can develop with their support. I hope you find the recording useful. The audio is a bit more rustic than we're used to because of it being a dial-in, but the content is worth it. If you're not already, don't forget you can subscribe to the EdTech podcast and connect to each other via the Twitter account at Podcast EdTech. Have a good week, everyone. Welcome to today's Putnam International Trades webinar on overseas opportunities for UK EdTech providers. My name is Tom Sapstead. I am an International Trade Advisor for the Department of International Trade. Uh, and my role is to help SMEs within the London region develop their services and offerings overseas. And my specialism is indeed EdTech. So why are we here today? Um, I wanted to do this webinar for, for several reasons, really. Um, just looking at the numbers alone, I think it shows the opportunity and the potential of the UK edtech industry to grow internationally. So just to run through some of these numbers, there's 200 edtech startups in London alone, 1,000 across the UK, over 1,000. This makes up over 4% of all digital companies. So if you look at the spend uh, on edtech, within the UK it's around 900 million. And yet the global spend on edtech in 2015 was estimated to be $67.8 billion. So what does that mean? It means that there there is a massive, massive opportunity for for UK edtech providers to to really grow internationally uh, and really break into new ground. This forecast is estimated to grow to 129 billion by 2020. So there is indeed growth. So what are the kind of offerings? Got massive open online courses, MOOCs as they're often referred to, corporate and e-learning offerings augmented reality, virtual reality, networking tools, platforms to help those in education, and a whole range of other digital tools that will be invaluable internationally to schools, to colleges, to universities, to training providers. So this is really what I want to discuss today. I just want to start with a few thank yous um, to some very special organizations that have helped promote this webinar um, and support this webinar. So I want to thank the EdTech Exchange, um, which is uh, Europe's largest community of EdTech entrepreneurs. Um, Education Investor Global, uh, which is the authoritative publication on people in the business uh, community in and around global education. The EdTech Podcast, I'm delighted to, to announce that we'll have the founder of that uh, speaking today. Um, and Education Technology, uh, which is a subscription-only magazine featuring the latest EdTech news and opinion. Um, I also want to give a special shout out to, to NACE, the Education Technology Association, and BISA as well, the Trade Association for Education Suppliers. 
all of whom have been absolutely pivotal in making this webinar a success. If you are looking at EdTech uh, exporting globally, do feel free to get in touch with myself and indeed Vipple. Um, we, 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 we specialize in EdTech within the Department for International Trade, and we're here to support you grow. So let's look at who we've got speaking today. Next to me, and for our first speaker, will be Sophie Bailey, the founder of the EdTech Podcast. She will be followed by Vipple Ogava, who's the Ed Education Technology Specialist, Department for International Trade. And finally, we'll have a very special case study from Aldo Tapab, who's the founder of TeachBits, a hugely successful international EdTech offering. So, without further ado, um, I am going to hand over to Sophie, who is the founder of the EdTech Podcast. Sophie. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks for handing over. Hello, everyone. I am going to conduct a whistle-stop tour of uh, UK EdTech success areas as I see them. So we'll start off with STEM and coding and very much focusing on the coding side of things because in September 2014, of course, the computing curriculum became compulsory in the UK. And um, as a result of this and in um, tandem with teachers indicating through multiple surveys that they felt they had a lack of confidence and or training in this area, there were quite a few startups or scale-ups that were providing services that helped uh, both educators deliver computing and coding teaching in a way that was fun and perhaps more engaging for both themselves and the students. And these um, startups tend to be uh, sort of have a dual approach to their business. So they will have uh, both the education side of what they're doing, so working with schools to deliver that, but also um, very much aware of the consumer side of things, um, the maker movement, and so on. So just to dive into some of the case studies here, um, we've got Tech Will Save Us, who were founded in 2012. Uh, they make DIY gadget kits for maker enthusiasts and schools, and they have over 50,000 of the kits sold across school shops and museums. Um, and they also design the physical appearance of the BBC Microbit, which no doubt uh, many people here would know about. Then we have Kano, who were founded in 2013. Uh, they're one of the UK's fastest growing tech companies and one of Tech City's upscale cohort. Um, to date, the company has shipped nearly 100,000 kits to people in 86 countries, and they recently announced that they were in 500 education programs and 200 code clubs worldwide. Moving on to Primo, uh, Primo founded in 2013, and they're very much uh, geared towards the early years end of the market, so they are described as the coding toy for boys and girls aged three and up. They work with 10,000 or more children in 90 countries and recently won a Can Lion Award for product design uh, for infant toys and education. Um, PyTop, founded in 2014, uh, deliver low-cost computing services to teach STEAM and coding subjects and also use the sort of gamification aspect with SEED to help engage students and teachers in, in coding. PyTop are a former uh, part of the Emerge Education cohort and were on the uh, EdTech podcast recently, so you can check that out and no doubt you'll hear more about their US plans in terms of thinking about exporting today. And then just finally, the mothership of Raspberry Pi. So they were obviously founded in 2012 by University of Cambridge's computer laboratory. Um, they sold 8 million devices as of February this year, and that makes them the best-selling UK personal computer. Um, so just moving on to the next trend. So the next area I'd really like to focus on is online learning, and this has come through a perfect storm of um, greater awareness of student debt as a result of universities. So, for example, in the U.S., student debt is attributed to 1.2 trillion U.S. dollars by the Financial Times. The Sutton Trust recently um, indicated that students should really question whether um, 50,000 pounds worth of student debt is the right decision for them. At the same time, we've got um, a greater uh, awareness of ongoing skills gap issues. And things like the Sainsbury Review have encouraged people to look for diversified student pathways, so apprenticeships or further education offerings. Um, this is in tandem with the idea of the super temp, so Harvard, Harvard Business School uh, have termed this coin, uh, coined this term even, uh, the super temp, which identifies that um, there are a greater amount of people working independently. So corporates are also realizing that in order to retain their best staff, they should offer um, the ability for people to be in control of their own um, upskilling and learning. 
Um, as a result, MOOC subscriptions doubled in 2015, and now over 35 million people have taken an online course globally. Um, and when we think about what that means for uh, online tutoring, an estimated 24% of pupils have used a tutor over the past year. That's greater in London itself, and the market is worth 6.5 billion uh, in the UK, with 2.8 million pupils being tutored at any one time. So just to dive into some of these uh, case studies, we've got Makers Academy, who are an alternative to university. Their USP is near 100% employability versus what they see as not necessarily always a, um, a pragmatic or a vocational three-year computing science degree if you're thinking of becoming a software developer. They've graduated over 700 students to date, and uh, that's a mix of online and physical, but mostly um, online. Um, FutureLearn, hugely successful, uh, launched in 2013. They have over 4 million users and now offer 500 courses. So obviously Coursera, number one in this space, but FutureLearn fast um, catching up. And new investment this year of £13 million from Open University um, is allowing them to focus on workplace learning, expanding languages and conducting courses in Chinese. Um, and they currently have 30, um, 230 countries and territories, so learners from those areas. Proversity, uh, just to carry on this rapid pace, um, again, one of the 50 most disruptive companies in the UK, very much geared towards workplace learning, skills gap, and increased diversity in the workplace. They are planning a five to eight million pound uh, round this year to go into the US, Asian, and Middle East markets, and currently have offices in Chile, Boston, and Cape Town. Um, and then my tutor web, more on the online tutoring business, boasts 900 tutors from customers from 45 countries, um, and uh, in 2014 they were growing at a rate of 400%, so um, certainly one to watch, and then just a, a cheeky one to watch at the end, um, not actually online learning in the sense that all of the courses they uh, promote um, are about face-to-face -face learning, but they're creating a, an online marketplace um, and formerly part of the Emerge Education cohort. Um, so now I come on to educator-focused services, and really this is, uh, you know, in relation if we go back to a speech by the Education Secretary in March, there was a pledge to support to reduce teacher workloads, uh, to free up teachers' time by stamping out the unnecessary tasks and red tape impacting on the profession, stifling its creativity and passion. And the three areas identified as priority after surveying 44,000 teachers were marking, planning and resources, and data management. Um, and if we just dive in uh, quickly to data management, there were 56% of respondents to the DfE workload challenge who said that data management causes unnecessary workload. And the areas they saw for opportunities um, to improve were funding, student achievement, school performance, and financial management. And a quote from that uh, committee report was, we encourage all schools to take advantage of technology, particularly where systems and software packages reduce workload. And I know Aldo is going to uh, go into some of this later. Um, but just to go into some of those case studies, we've got Show My Homework, people are very familiar with. Um, they were founded in 2011 by, at the time, assistant head teacher Namish Gohill. Um, again, they're one of the upscale cohort from Tech City, which means they're one of the 30th fastest growing UK tech companies. Their, their main offering is to make it simple for schools to set, track, and complete engaging homework. Um, and in summer of 2015, last year, they broke into America. Um, they're used by 1,400 schools around the globe, and they trade in 20 markets, uh, planning to expand further into the Middle East. Uh, we then come on to Firefly. Um, Firefly were founded by uh, then-students in 1999, Joe Matthewson and Simon Hay. Again, it's about setting homework, tracking progress, sharing resources, and engaging parents. They're in over 15 countries and started with Singapore. Um, Zish, slightly different, founded by ex-Googler Charles Walls. Um, they have 30,000 teachers on their platform, and they're all about edtech app location and development, so teachers being able to find the best uh, learner apps out there. 
Um, and then two sort of ones to watch, uh, Lunacy Slate based in Derby, um, they're all about lesson planning and um, have recently been part of the Ignite Accelerator Manchester cohort um, and Provision Tracker which are much more originally about helping SENCOs with SEND funding and procurement but now I think sort of seeing the larger picture for how um, that could apply across the whole education gamut. Um, so moving on to student focus services, this really is about increased student expectations and more sophisticated student offerings. So, for example, RefMe um, in the higher education space is an automated citation tool founded by Tom Hatton, uh, Tom Gardner, and Ian Forshu in 2013. Um, they're currently recruiting for a global outreach executive. They have 1 million users, and in 2015, they were adding 10,000 users a day. Uh, Gojamo, um, founded by George Burgess in 2009 when he was still a student, um, are a leading revision app which has been downloaded over 600,000 times. Um, they're now launching Gojamo Tutor. Um, Unifrog um, is all about finding the best universities and apprenticeships, so how to optimize uh, the pathways you take after school instead of trawling through 100 universities on the UCAS application and that kind of thing. So other players in that space which are popping up are, are um, organizations like Unibuddy and Full Fabric. Then there's Memrise, which were founded in 2010. Um, this is a mobile app to uh, increase retention of uh, learning languages, so um, others in the space like Busu and Duolingo. They are one of Google Play's apps of the year and they have uh, over 8 million users. And uh, Hegarty Maths, so uh, Colin Hegarty was a Global Teacher Award nominee and a first class Oxford grad. Um, his uh, original offering was a YouTube video channel um, which then got up to 5.5 million uh, views and so subsequently he set up Hegarty Maths which now uh, quotes 125,000 uh, hours of learning to date. So just to end very quickly, literacy and creativity, obviously there's a big focus in the UK at the moment and globally around STEM, um, but literacy and creativity just as important. Um, we've noticed with the um, sort of teachers approach to EBAC that they're very keen to make sure that um, the STEAM is still back in STEM and with regards to storytelling and perhaps um, how VR and AR is getting used, I would encourage you to check out um, Blipper, Night Zookeeper, Pobble and now press play. Um, and just for anyone who has any extra questions or um, would like to know the uh, references for those um, statistics and so on, I've attached a notes doc in the handouts and happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sophie. That was absolutely fantastic. Um, now we're going to look at the where. Um, for this, I'm going to hand over to my colleague, Vipul, um, who is Education Technology Specialist at the Department for International Trade. Um, so, Vipul, I'll hand straight over to you. Thanks, Tom, and welcome, everybody. Uh, just for introductions, uh, so my name is Vipul. Um, I joined the Department for International Trade, or UKTI, previously about uh, seven months ago. Uh, my background has uh, been in EdTech for the last eight years, worked at RM Education um, doing M&A and strategy, and the last four years heading up finance and strategy for a company called Education First, uh, building the business there in Brazil, Mexico, uh, China, etc. So I've got some experience for the last eight years of uh, building EdTech businesses globally. Let's just talk about DIT for a second. It essentially is uh, strategically placed within the government, and more so now because now it's its own ministry, uh, to ensure that overseas partners can access uh, expertise from the UK, but also help UK businesses export overseas, so helping both the demand and supply side. The focus of DIT is essentially to help large-scale complex commercial education opportunities Opportunities that may not come your, come your way or organization's way on their own. So somewhere where the government can play a role. This is more true for some other parts of the business, like I also do international schools. Uh, with EdTech, there are obviously fewer large-scale government opportunities, but where they do exist, it's our job to try and find them and bring them to you. The way we do that is that we have people in post uh, or people in embassies uh, who are actually very clued in, are on the ground, scouting for these opportunities, meeting investors, etc., which I will cover, and then they then feed that to us over here in HQ, and then we try and find the appropriate supply base. 
So that's really is the role of DIT. Um, let's quickly get into now, you know, what you're all really dialing in for, which is, you know, where are we trying to find uh, opportunities for you internationally? So we've identified, we've done some work around this, and of course, given our limited resources, we of course can't look at the whole world. So we've, so we've identified six priority campaigns, and when we, what we call campaigns are really regions, so to speak, starting with China and Hong Kong. So China, Hong Kong, ASEAN region, Saudi and the Gulf, and Brazil and Latin America. So those are the regions where overall for education we find um, is where we can add most value. Needless to say, there are of course opportunities all over the world. The US, of course, as you can imagine, is probably a huge market for any tech company. But we just believe that, you know, if we look at not just that tech, because we of course do education overall, we obviously add more value in some other parts of the world which are now still developing. And so there are other opportunities in America, et cetera. That's not something we focus on, but we can obviously, you know, advise on. Um, but those are six markets where we will actively scout opportunities and perhaps be able to help a, uh, a little bit more. So let's start with um, sort of the elephant in the room almost, with China. Now, in, in the last seven months that I've been here, I've certainly, you know, been inundated with, with data requests from China uh, who are trying to tap into the UK edtech space. Now, a lot of numbers have been thrown at you, so I do apologize, but this is a report we commissioned Deloitte to do. Um, but the point of the slide is China's a big market, and you already know that. But for numbers, the, the education technology spend in China is about 500 billion RMB, which is roughly about 100 billion. Now, that number differs from the Gartner number, but it's also just, it's different because I think the way you measure edtech is still not clear, you know, across different sources. But it's, but it's about 100 billion according to Deloitte. Now, that's a big number, and it means nothing. So let's put it in context. EdTech spend in China is bigger than the overall education budget of the UK. Now, some may you know, be surprised when they say, okay, that's obvious, China's big, but I thought it's just helpful to put the context. What's driving that technology spend? Well, there are really three key drivers. One is the government support. You know, uh, you know as you'd expect, um, the government, uh, you know, a few years ago decided that we're going to increase the spend on education and came up with the number of 4% of GDP to be spent on education, which they achieved in 2012. But they also went on to understand the role of technology in that. And so they have identified that 8% of that 4% um, will be spent on ed tech. And that's really driven the market there, uh, you know, over the last three or four years. The other big piece, and this always helps, uh, you know, as is done in the UK, we see a lot of investments from uh, private equity and venture capital uh, going into education technology. But it's not just that. I'm sure all of you have heard of the large internet companies or the tech companies in China, Baidu, which acquired a company called Chuanke.com, which is in the MOOC area. So it builds a lot on what Sophie's already talked about. Uh, other similar themes we start to see where investment is going in China. So Baidu acquired Chuanke for MOOC, launched something called Zaibang, which is a, which is essentially uh, homework help. So and so very close to what um, you know things kind of like what Goju was trying to do. Uh, Alibaba had its own Taobao store, uh, in which they launched a Taobao education store, on which uh, either education companies can sell their wares and products. Um, Tencent, um, you know, has a product in mobile learning, but also a product called Yituku, which is an online testing and study evaluation. The point I'm making over here is there's a lot of funding going into EdTech uh, in China, um, but also a lot of the larger players uh, are uh, you know, trying to uh, make a dent in education. The opportunity here for UK companies is that if you, know, if you track these larger tech companies and some of the smaller ones, you might actually find strong partnership opportunities. Um, you know, things that are complementary, and, uh, and I will get into, you know, the success factor for China, but that could be one, um, you know, one way to get into the market. Um, and finally is the increasing internet penetration. I don't think you'll see any slide on EdTech in the world which will not talk about increasing internet penetration. But by 2018, 56% of China's population will be online. Uh, and 58% of a very big number is a very big number. So that, of course, creates a lot of opportunities, not just for 
you know, during the school time, but also after school, uh, which, as you know, in Asia, um, there are a lot of opportunities for after-school uh, education services as well. So the point of the slide was we're getting a lot of demand from China. I think all of you would have thought about China at some point in time, but it's reiterating that we're seeing a lot of demand from there. Now, let's get into some more specifics of China, though. It's a cliche now that, you know, India, China, we need to look at it not as one country, but it's broken out into regions. Um, and so we've really broken up China into six focus regions, Shanghai, Beijing, Chongqing, Guangzhou, Wuhan, and Nanjing. Those are six areas that we're starting to see a lot of activity from uh, and have engaged people in embassy there. But what's interesting is, is that again, you know, to the whole cliche of, you know, uh, viewing it differently, each of these regions have evolved differently and are uh, and are, are different points in the whole uh, evolution matrix. So if you look at Shanghai, now Shanghai is easily, you know, it's, uh, the, the penetration of basic equipment is very good, and but they also tend to purchase more uh, advanced equipment compared to Beijing. So Beijing's got about the same uh, level of penetration of basic equipment, but, they, uh, but they're more conservative in trying new technologies. That's what at least we, you know, uh, we find. So as you think about China, um, we really urge you to think about China broken out in different regions. And, and, and just the scale of China will still be bigger than most markets you target. So what we recommend, and it's, uh, and it's again, no rocket science, is to take a very regional approach in China. And again, where, where we're here to help you in, in, uh, in achieving those three success factors that I've mentioned over there. First is finding the right local partner. I must have had about four companies in the last two months tell me that we found a partner in China, but they've done nothing over the last two or three years. We're now coming to the end of our exclusivity period, etc. That's not surprising, because there are a lot of people in China who are trying to be opportunistic about this. And that will happen. But we at uh, you know, the Department of Trade are trying to find the right partners for you. So we're going through a bit of a vetting process, so we try and find the right partner for you. Um, the other is the ability to localize the product. Of course, you can do, uh, you know, localize the product as much as possible uh, in Mandarin, etc. Now, there again, lots of ways to do that. Uh, access some government funding to do that, possibly uh, not funding, but sort of look, uh, like a loan through export finance. Uh, but sometimes also the local partner in China may be able to help if you're uh, strapped for funding to be able to do that. And finally. Uh, you know, there are lots of, you know, independent schools. China is one of the fastest growing, after UAE, the fastest growing independent school market, which will obviously, uh, you, know, uh, you know, be a great opportunity, but there will only be, you know, a certain number of private schools. If you are looking to go after the state, which is, of course, a big market, uh, then you need to leverage the local government support and get their endorsement at a regional level. So moving on from China, um, ASEAN and Hong Kong. Um, we're seeing uh, Hong Kong, of course, is a smaller market, much smaller than China, um, but we see a lot of push on EdTech over there. We see a lot of demand coming from there. Uh, but again, when I say a lot of it, you know, it has to be put in context, uh, you know, nothing close to China. But the government has invested substantially in promoting technology and education. They've invested more than $750 million over the last 15 years, which is, you know, a you know, big number for a small country. Um, but they also have something called a Quality Education Fund of which they have actually earmarked about 157 million specifically for e-learning projects. And they've taken steps to provide grants for schools, so for local Hong Kong schools, to try out these e-learning resources. So there are lots of opportunities to work with local distributors in, pro in promoting some of these online learning resources. So if you're in the space of online learning, you, you could look at Hong Kong as a market. We had about a delegation of 20 people at BEC this year who came from Hong Kong, distributors, etc. So if that's of interest, please get in touch. Then the rest of the ASEAN region, we have something called Education is Great campaign in Malaysia this year, uh, which also covers the other parts of ASEAN, uh, where we're starting to see uh, a lot of demand for broader education. So schools, technical vocational skills, English language training, and ed tech. We're still in quite early stages of development of these opportunities. We are heading down to the region towards the end of the year. We're trying to formalize some more of these opportunities uh, in Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia. But these markets seem very exciting to us at this point. 
golf is a funny one because almost everybody looks at golf, and that's driven by the you know by the rapid increase of independent schools going into into golf. Uh, but let's break that into UAE and the other markets, which is Qatar and Bahrain and Kuwait and uh, you know and the markets. But UAE, um, you know, is the is, is you know is a really interesting market, and it's been interesting because given the size of the market, it has the maximum number of British independent schools, more in China currently, um, you know, which is quite staggering. And that's really been driven, of course, by the, you know, by the expat population and all that. Uh, and that's what uh, happened over the last 10 years. We, however, see that demand-supply sort of being rebalanced a little bit. So, so speaking with the local government there, and, uh, and what we see over there is there's a bit of a shift from purely promoting more and more international and independent schools to trying to improve how things are taught and how things, uh, yeah, things are taught in schools. In fact, very recently, the Crown Prince, Sheikh Hamdan, has announced something, something called Dubai Futures Accelerators Initiative, which essentially is an expansive program that brings together top international companies and entrepreneurs to address seven key 21st century opportunities. Now, if you go through that, it's in healthcare, it's in you know, traffic congestion, et cetera, et cetera, but also includes one in education. And I'm just going to read that verbatim, really. It's basically around testing 21st century assessment systems. So they've, so they've understood the, the need for uh, you know, improved assessment, but across all curriculum. So not just British curriculum, because of course the expats there follow American, IB, French curriculum. Um, so 21st century assessment systems, and on STEM and coding and some other disciplines, a lot of which you know, um, Sophie covered as well. So we're starting to see that in Dubai and this continued demand for qualitative and innovative educational resources and content. Now, Qatar and the other markets, again, we're, we're quite active in those markets. The demand is much lesser, but there is some demand for STEM resources in K-12, assessment, cybersecurity, et cetera. Much smaller, but if those markets are of interest, please get in touch. And finally, very quickly, Brazil and Latin America. This is something we're just starting to, uh, starting to create opportunities in. Brazil, as you know, has been a great edtech market driven by a very big population, large population, very, you know, very driven towards education. Uh, I know this market reasonably well, uh, having worked last four years in the market. And, but of course, you know, economic recession, political turmoil, depreciation of business in real, all these you know, have, you know, have created problems over the last three or four years. But we start to see some more um, demand coming from Brazil, and we're starting to build some more demand from markets like Colombia, uh, et cetera. What I quickly, quickly just like to cover off is how we can support you. Essentially three ways. Um, we have people, like I said, in post who can provide you a lot of information about the local market, some of which is free, some of which is a paid-for service, but it's not exorbitant. We can also do introductions if you're looking at partners, distributors, etc. And finally, if you're in the market, we can help you with uh, cultural awareness, business visas, you know, just conversations, receptions at the embassy for launch events, etc. So that's really a very, very quick tour of how we think of EdTech and the markets we're looking at. I appreciate that 10 minutes isn't enough, so that's my email address. Uh, if there are any questions, please, please feel free to get in touch. Thanks. Thank you, Vipul. That's absolutely terrific. So we've, we've kind of covered off there several things. We've got the, the what, uh, we've got the where, and now, now kind of the how we want to hear. How, how is a really successful EdTech company exporting, how has it exported, and so I'm going to hand over to you as an industry leader really, Aldo Pop uh, founded Teach Pitch. Um, now, it's a very special organization, I'll let Aldo tell you a little bit more about it. Hi, hi Tom, I hope you can, can hear me well, uh, and Tom, you're way too kind, <laughs> um, and thank you very much for giving me uh, the time and opportunity to, to speak here. Yes, so um, you know, in the 10 minutes that are given to me, I will talk you through uh, what it is that we do as TeachPitch, what we, what we do for individual teachers on the level of online learning as, uh, uh, you know, if you remember the distinctions or the categories that, that Sophie indicated, but also what we do for educators further into the school. Then I would like to talk a little bit about how we became from, you know, a, a platform um, that started in the uh, uh, United Kingdom uh, to a platform that is now uh, being used uh, uh, truly global. And then in the last part, I would like to talk a little bit about the specific market. Um, and that market is um, uh, also China. 
so you have a little bit of an idea of, uh, of the growth steps that we've taken. So what is TeachPitch? So TeachPitch is a cloud-based platform that helps teachers and schools with the discovery and management of the best online learning resources. And uh, what we basically do is uh, we, we focus on disambiguation of the internet when it comes to learning material. Um, we uh, feel that um, uh, with the, the rapid growth of uh, internet and technology has um, uh, basically created a growing abundance of learning material. You know, going back to, to Sophie's presentation, um, uh, when you're talking MOOCs, uh, 2016 started with the announcement that another 631 universities would make their content openly available uh, via MOOCs. Uh, and, and this is just MOOCs, this is not lesson plan platforms, this is not video platforms, and these are also not new uh, learning formats that are being, uh, uh, being adopted. So um, there's a huge uh, democratization going on of learning material. Um, and even though we embrace that, we also feel that it is increased pressure on the shoulders of individual teachers. So what does our uh, solution do? So our solution, so, so what, what we mainly do, uh, what we started doing is curation. We started curating the internet for good online learning material. Um, and we started uh, uh, putting those links into a very big online learning library. I think that's the best way of describing it. We put it into a, uh, a big platform. Now that library is accessible via a community technology. Um, so teachers uh, can sign up to the library and basically find specific links that we have um, enriched through a great deal of metadata and to a great deal of functionality. So when, we are, when you are introduced to the links, um, you're able to uh, discover good content, share it, save it, rate it, review it, store it, plan it, uh, collaborate on it, and uh, uh, you know we are continuously increasing these functionalities for individual teachers, um, so that we really become a technology that um, you know gives you that helps you find the most relevant uh, learning material at the right moment in time. That's really uh, what we're focused on. So we help you uh, to get organized uh, quickly. Today, uh, and, and this is um, also where, where uh, you know, what, what we've observed, and I already mentioned it earlier on, is that uh, there is so much content out there, and it's, you know, it isn't likely that it's getting less. Uh, if you've, you just heard the number from Vipul and, and, and how many people will be working online in China, that's of course not only something in China, it's, it is everywhere. And lots of this material could be very useful. Uh, to, to be used uh, you know, in the school or classroom and as an individual teacher you are interested to find lots of this uh, material but because it's increasing in quantities and in volume uh, you want to find a clever way of basically finding this specific content so that is where we come in. So um, again I will, uh, you know, this is talking a little bit about uh, uh, the frustration and then I will go to what we exactly do as a product so as a, as a platform, we help you uh, find the most relevant content at the right moment in time. And after you found it, we help you manage the specific content. Now, there is a need on an individual teacher's level, but there's also a need on an institutional level, so for schools and institutions. And that is exactly what our product is. You know, what might be uh, nice to know um, um, is um, I, I started uh, uh, TeachPitch. I started our company out of the uh, personal frustration, so I used to be a teacher uh, at a special needs school in the Netherlands, and I found it very difficult uh, to find good learning material. So the students uh, that I was working with, uh, I remember one was uh, heavily dyslectic. Um, if you uh, uh, do a search online for students with dyslexia, it gives you over 11 million uh, answers. Uh, something a little bit more uh, basic, like uh, the Pythagorean theorem, for instance, uh, will give you over one million answers. Um, so again, the, the plot problem is, ve is, is very real. Now, ever since I started TeachPitch, which was in October 2014, uh, and started uh, with the idea to basically curate the Internet for Good Learning material, I've been blessed uh, with uh, very huge amounts of teachers who are signing up to our platform. Uh, to give you an idea, we are currently being used in over 125 countries. We have in the tens of thousands of teachers using TeachPitch each and every single day to get to you know, the most relevant content at the right moment in time. 
and we're growing in the uh, hundreds of teachers uh, signing up to our platform each and every day and 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 really the fact that that is global is is really nice now and I think this is where when you're talking about international expansion you know what has been relevant in in in, in our expansion strategy has been the fact that we've always profiled ourselves as an international platform and I think that is very important to, to point out here um, that we've we've always said we're we're a global community we want as many teachers as possible to sign up to TeachPitch. And because we really gave that international vibe, we were also embraced on an international, um, uh, an international level. If you could go to the next slide. So why TeachPitch? And I think this is time where, where I introduce uh, uh, the, uh, the platform. So and I hope that the platform is clear, a very big online learning library with lots of links uh, accessible via community technology. And on the back end of it, we are a digital repository technology. So you should think of us as a, as a very sophisticated storage system for the learning material that circulates within schools and institutions. And we are, you know, we are uh, better in that sense uh, than, you know, normal storage systems because storage systems are just that. Eh? So when you're talking enterprise systems such as, a, you know, for instance, a SharePoint or a Google Drive to a certain extent or a, a Dropbox, then you're talking about, okay, I'm storing my material somewhere because I need... Um, you know, I need to put it somewhere, um, then what you're effectively doing is you're creating a digital attic. You put it in boxes somewhere, uh, you, want to, you, you want it to be safe, you want it to be there, and often we see that that process is recreated within schools and institutions. Now where we're better is that we are very much focused on the teaching capacity and very much focused on how schools would use raw learning material into the, uh, into the classroom and how the teachers are using it. Um, on top of that, on top of on top of all these uh, search functionalities and metadata and um, um, kind of all these uh, management functionalities, we also offer you uh, direct access to a growing library of very relevant learning content that has been validated by all these teachers who are signing up to the library. So it's the management uh, element uh, through our repository technology as well as the uh, as well as the discovery element and the fact that we tie that together is, is a strong prop proposition. Now here's our team today, so we're 16 people today. We have offices in two countries and we're opening a third office very soon in China. Um, so uh, yeah, and it, it, it's, it's really been blessed, uh, I've really been blessed with, with, with a great team and as you can see as well, we pride ourselves for uh, having an all-female development team. Uh, which is also something that uh, uh, that we think is very nice. So, so uh, you know, it's really great uh, that we could work with so many people on a, on a curation level, on a dev level, and on a product uh, management level uh, that make Teach Patrol. I'd like to um, use this opportunity to to basically talk to you a little bit about what we've done internationally thus far, because I think that's you know that's the focus of this specific um, uh, uh, webinar. Um, uh, so, uh, what we've done, um, how we've grown internationally is um, we, are, we have customers today in a great variety of countries. I think the most notable are customers in uh, one country specifically, that's Africa, East Africa, uh, as we've just signed up an entire nation um, uh, to, to work with us uh, as a technology within their uh, uh, secondary schools and uh, institutions and that's a great opportunity for us. It's also a government deal to show that, that, uh, that that's really something that nations there are interested in. We've had many meetings with, uh, with the ministry and sat down even with the Minister of um, Research and Technology uh, to get that off the ground. So that's, that's a great opportunity that I just wanted to mention. Uh, but we also work on other levels in other countries. Um, often uh, the format in which we work with is through a uh, agency construction of some sort. So in the Netherlands, for instance, where I'm from, we are working with the biggest distributor of school content that has that is now selling our uh, our technology into uh, schools in the Netherlands. Um, uh, so you know, just to give you uh, give you an example of uh, what is happening, uh, Vipul mentioned uh, the Middle East. Uh, we're also very happy and proud that we're being uh, supported by uh, the Qatar Foundation through their accelerator. So their accelerator, the World Innovation Summit for Education, and they've given us lots of support on the level of PR as well as uh, business advice. 
Now, uh, the lessons learned uh, uh, thus far, uh, so what have we done in China and how did we come about working with China? And then I would like to also mention the Department for International Trade here separately because I, I've been fortunate enough to have some meetings uh, with people and colleagues here in London, uh, but also with his colleagues at the um, uh, UK Embassy in Beijing, uh, Danny in, in, in particular, who, who helped us greatly to understand uh, the market uh, in China. Um, TeachPitch very early on had a bit of a pull from the Chinese market, so uh, we had big um, media platforms such as people.cn, um, uh, uh, learnings, uh, sohu.com, but also uh, Jimodui uh, uh, writing about us uh, very early on as a um, a platform that helps teachers identify the best uh, content, uh, kind of like a Google-esque uh, construction and because of the fact that they were writing about us, we got lots of demand uh, from the Chinese market. So we had a little bit of a pool. Um, uh, we were also fortunate, fortunate enough uh, that uh, one of our first angel investors is from Hong Kong um, and had a, you know, a, a good network among uh, the international community mainly in Hong Kong. Um, um, the, the, our clients, um, we started mainly with uh, working with uh, international uh, schools uh, at first, um, uh, but because our product works as international schools and because of that China is a, you know, um, a, in the Chinese market there are lots of international schools, it's growing very quickly, um, our product was very um, uh, very uh, well catered to, uh, to their specific needs. So as you can see, we are very rapidly growing in this specific international school market. Um, last uh, July, we were selected by a big venture uh, accelerator here in, in the United Kingdom. It's called Silk Ventures, and they are a government-endorsed uh, fund that basically takes uh, startups uh, from the UK into China and we did a, a tour around China in two weeks time. I visited five cities and was uh, introduced to uh, a great number of new clients but also a great number of investors and, and partners. Uh, what are the lessons learned of you know, uh, our adventure in, uh, you know, in working abroad? As an EdTech specific product I would say uh, go east, don't go west, especially if you're in the very early phases uh, of your existence. Um, uh, Vipul also mentioned, I believe, uh, you know, do, that of course the U.S. is great. There are great opportunities there. There are lots of things happening there. But it is already on another level. I, I, I would, I would really advise you that if you are still, you know, bootstrapped and still small scale, I think you will have lots more impact and lots more effect if you go east and see what you can do there rather than going west, because the west, uh, western market is a little bit more saturated. Make sure you can scale up, not start up when you go to. Uh, uh, other countries. Um, we, have, we, we, we only started there when we already were uh, grown substantially and that we had some you know, good customers here in the United Kingdom uh, that we could talk about before we took it to uh, another market. Work with more than one local partner, so it's good to have um, you know, a partner, but don't bet on one horse. Always make sure you create options within the markets that you want to operate in. So make sure you know more than one person and don't be dependent on one person. Also, you know, verify and ask for references about this person and, and you know, make sure you, 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 you really uh, do your homework on doing that. And lastly, I would say is be patient. Um, it's not it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen very quickly. Yes, there are lots of opportunities, but be sure that you you know you have um, uh, the, the 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 runway uh, to look into it. Yes, this is my call. Thank you very much for listening. I hope it made sense. If it didn't, then please feel free to send me an email. This is my email address as well as my uh, Twitter handle. Thank you very much. Thank you, Aldo. That was absolutely fantastic. So there's a couple of things I just want to state um, which Vipul touched upon during his presentation. Department for International Trade is very much here to help help you, really. My role specifically within the London region is very much to help EdTech SMEs um, grow internationally. So whether you're already doing business overseas and looking to do more, I am here to help you and support you in doing that and, and use uh, Department for International Trade's resources in order to break into new markets. And if you're completely new as well, we're, we're, we're here to help you. So if, if you've never done any exporting before, then we, we want to be there to support you. 
Um, we've had one person ask, um, are there other countries following suit and mandating a computing curriculum which teaches coding? Yeah, I believe that Finland uh, is looking to launch uh, mandatory coding this year and then Japan in 2020. But also in the doc that I've uh, put together there, there is a list um, which has been helpfully compiled, not by myself, of uh, all other initiatives across Europe. So I'd definitely check that one out as well. Thank you, Sophie. And um, here's the one for, for Vipple, I think. Um, how can we get more involved in accessing opportunities in China? So, as I mentioned, uh, we're we're currently doing a lot of work in China. Uh, we have very specific opportunities coming away. Uh, so if you think it's possible uh, that your product may fit, uh, just get in touch with us. Also, um, there's a website called Exporting. It's a great website where we post all opportunities. Uh, so you can always access that. But in terms of accessing specific distributors, etc., cetera, uh, we do organize missions to China. So outward missions, we also have incoming missions. But, but, but the best way to uh, access that is to stay in touch. Thank you, Vipul. And I just want to add there as well, we've spoken a lot about China. Given the size of the market, that's not surprising at all. Um, there are, of course, a huge range of markets. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to, to exporting your EdTech products. Um, demand exists globally, as Vipul um, alluded to in the presentation. So the Department for International Trade isn't here just to help, just in the six key markets that, that Vipul uh, mentioned, but, but globally. So wherever you're looking, we are here to support you. Um, Aldo, just a quick one for you here. Um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of questions around the, the challenges which, which, come, which came across your path that were really specific to EdTech. So is there anything um, particularly that was specific to EdTech for, from your, your point of view that challenges wise? Yeah, I, th I, I think what you, you kind of, if you want to go into another market is make sure that you have a good understanding of, of how the you know the problem that you're trying to solve with your uh, technology or with your product, how that basically translates into another country. So is it is it is it international? So you know in our case, yeah, it's the internet is an ocean of learning resources, and basically you know every teacher in every country has the problem um, that they're overwhelmed with learning material when they start uh, uh, looking for material. Um, uh, but I, I would you know I would advise for everyone who, who has similar plans to look for okay what is what is the problem and, how, and and up to which extent does the problem occur internationally another thing i would say is that edtech of course is a high impact but not always high profit product and that when you go in into another market it's always good that you indicate that you have been successful in generating revenue with your specific product because that is always a question that people ask when it comes around education technology people believe you you know that you that you're changing things but are you also able to to, to turn that into a sustainable um, rapidly growing company that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Aldo. So I just want to say a massive thank you to, to everyone taking part today. Make sure you do tune in to the EdTech podcast that Sophie leads. Uh, it's a fantastic um, experience and, and well worth listening into. Um, do make sure you, you have a look at Aldo's website, uh, teachpitch.com. Uh, it's absolutely really interesting ideas in there, interesting resources, and, and obviously making huge grounds internationally. And, and do feel free to get in touch with myself and Vipul to discuss what the opportunities are for you globally. Thank you very much, everyone. Goodbye. That's all for now, folks. Next week, we have South by Southwest Edu exec producer Ron Reed on the show. I know many of you will be thinking about your own panel uh, submissions via Panel Picker, so make sure you tune in. Thanks for listening, everyone.